Amen. Hey, I just want to take a quick moment to uh, welcome those who join in our service online. We are so thankful that you are tuned in, and we do pray that this morning's message will impact you and will bless you. If it does in any way, please feel free to get in contact with us. We would love to hear from you, church. Let's make some noise for those that are joining in online. That's awesome. Um, I do have a story for you. I think you'll like this story. So about three years ago, uh, I was at home chilling, and uh, someone flicked out a message to us saying, hey, I want to let you know that we've been watching your sermons all the way from the UK. How good is that? They've been watching them for a wee while, and they just wanted to send some encouragement to us. I was like stoked as. And so uh, things kind of went silent for a number of years, and that same guy reached out to me two weeks ago and said, hey, I want to let you know we're in New Zealand. Not only are we in New Zealand, we're in Waikanae. And so they're like, we're going to come check out this church that we've been watching online. So here's the thing. They came last week, and they're here again this morning. How cool is that? All the way from the UK. This is what's cool about it, is that we're doing our thing in a local church, and God says, here goes a global platform. How many know when you do the small things faithfully, God will open up opportunities and doors for bigger and greater things? God is good, amen? Amen. Hey, let's uh, recap really quickly what we've been covering over the last wee while. Over the last six weeks, we've really looked at some of the foundational principles of the Christian faith, right? We've looked at this idea of sin and really what that is all about. We learned that there is there is uh, nothing that will kill the song in your heart like that of sin. Sin is a song destroyer, a purpose killer, right? We also looked at repentance. We, we learned how important that is. What we also learned is that there is no right way to do a wrong thing. And two weeks ago, Pastor Adam looked at righteousness. What we did learn is that we, as Christians, are in right standing with God. Like as a Christian, that's your default position, to be in right standing with God. We know that He accepts us just as we are. And I want to cover, if you like, another foundational topic or another foundational principle. I'm almost grabbing the baton from Pastor Adam, and I'm just going to run with it. Okay, I don't even know where it's going, but I'm going to run with it. Okay, You want to go, go with me on that journey? All right. If you like, I just want to give some credit where credit is due. This has uh, got some points that uh, Pastor Adam preached on about four years ago. So if you like, I've plagiarized it. I've stolen some of the points from a message that Pastor Adam uh, did many, many years ago. I pray in Jesus' name that I do it justice. I want to start off by saying this. As a Christian, you'll believe or you'll agree with me that we can live a life that is free in Christ. That's a good place to say amen. That's a good place to say Amen. Common knowledge amongst believers is that he or the Messiah or Jesus has set us free. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is what? Is what? We're going to work towards an album at the end, okay? We're going to go through some raps. You guys are going to go with me. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Whilst we say it, and it's really easy to do, how many know that it's a little bit harder or more difficult to live out than saying it? If you've ever thought the thought of something like, what can I do as a Christian or what can I do as a Christian? Or if you've thought, what are the do's and don'ts of Christianity? Then we've really lost the essence of what it means to be free in Christ. What I want to talk to you about this morning is this idea of liberty or freedom. It's a foundational principle, liberty. 
And to give you an understanding of liberty, really what it means is that um, God gives us, as Christians, a whole bunch of gifts, right? And one of those gifts is liberty. Now, liberty means that we are completely forgiven and free from our sin. And we are accepted as righteous in God's eyes, and our sin is not counted against us. We're going to start the reading this morning in 1 Corinthians 10.23. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You're forgiven. It's going to come up there on the screen in a moment. I just want to give some context first, but that's where we're going to start. If you do have your Bibles, turn there with me. Are you ready for the Word? Yeah, if your answer was no, you're going to get it anyway. Okay, there's no escaping. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. God, we thank you for every single uh, body in this room, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would meet us, God, uh, that you would touch us. God, we pray for a moment in your presence. God, we know life is made up of moments. Let this be a moment this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Before we read our scripture this morning, I want to give you a bit of context uh, so you can understand where we're coming from. There are two books in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, which are written to the church of Corinth. Okay, Corinth is a city of which the church is located in. Now, Corinth as a city was considered a very prosperous city. It was, in fact, the most prosperous city in all of Greece. Its strategic location meant that it could really reap the benefits of what was considered a very vibrant commercial hub. Yet here's the thing. While Corinth was a prosperous city, and whilst it was in prime real estate, it was a morally corrupt city. Now, if you were to say, I spent the weekend in Corinth, that would be akin to saying, I spent the weekend in Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth would be a familiar term for many. That very name, Corinth, would suggest immorality and corruption. Now, the attitude, the city's attitude towards immorality and corruption involved no condemnation whatsoever. You wanted to do it? You could go do it. That's okay. It became a normal part of life. You could get away with anything. and Whatever you did, was all good. Now, the church of Corinth existed in the Sin City atmosphere. Now, what happened is that culture or, or that atmosphere slowly sipped its way into the inner workings of the church. Now, another way to think about it is that the surrounding culture had a far greater influence on the church rather than the church influencing the culture. How many know God's got a better plan for his church than that? Now, instead of being concerned with the behavior that these people were living, they were walking around with puffed up chests, boasting and bragging about this luxurious lifestyle they were living. And 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is really, in many ways, an attempt to address some of the issues that were going down. And the author of both books is a guy called Paul, also known as Paul the Apostle. Now, he's the founder of the Church of Corinth. Okay, he's a go get him church planter. Now, while working aboard, Paul was still very much involved with the all matters concerning the church of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 11, there's three ones if you didn't pick that up, a triple one call was made out to Paul. This is what the scripture says. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels amongst you. In other words, Chloe's flatmates pick up the phone, say, hey, Paul, we just want to let you know that there's some stuff going down at the church. Now, you've got to understand how Paul might feel now. 
because he's this guy that started the church, right? I could imagine he started this church in a Vegas-like city. I could imagine that the church plant went really, really well. And at some point, the church was probably thriving, but it was now in the state of corruption. What we see Paul doing is really inserting some apostolic authority. And he says to them, let's get some stuff straight. And this is where we pick up the reading this morning. Depending on what version of the Bible you have with you, uh, some of your words will be in quotes. What I learned at school is that when something is in quotes, what you're generally doing is quoting someone. So let's read the first part of our scripture. It says this, I have the right to do anything. It's in quotes. I have the right to do anything. Now, I could imagine them saying this with a bit of attitude. Okay, like, like I have the right to do anything? Like, don't tell me what to do. This is my life. You ever met people like that? Yeah, if you're sitting next to them, don't make it obvious. I'm going to continue reading. He says, I have the right to do anything. And Paul says, yeah, you, you do, but not everything is beneficial. They say it again, I have the right to do anything. And Paul says, yeah, you do, but not everything is constructive. Over the last several years, as an ex-youth pastor, I've been fortunate enough to be involved on a number of youth panels. I love youth panels sometimes. Uh, if you don't know what a youth panel is, basically we have some youth leaders and youth pastors up on stage whereby we answer questions from the youth, right? And they could ask any questions, whether it be around uh, faith, the Bible, Christianity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whatever they wanted to ask, they could ask it and we would attempt, I repeat, attempt to answer their questions. Now, more often than not, we would split the groups uh, with boys and girls. And that's simply because boys had different things or a different thing on their mind. It was a person. It wasn't Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It was a person of the opposite sex. So we had to split the groups. Now, I remember, actually, I don't recall a time where these questions were not answered. One of two questions. The first one is, what age do I have to be to date? There's one question you are guaranteed to be asked on a youth panel. What age do I have to be to date? The second question is, how far is too far? How far is too far? Now, you knew these questions were going to be asked, so you could come up with some sort of preconceived answer, right? You could come up with a back pocket answer, pop it out up on stage and go, I've got the answer for you. Here's the problem. To that first question, how old do I have to be to date, there's actually nothing in the Bible that says you've got to be this age. And so we gave some really hairy answers, okay? So we would say something like, man, you know in your heart when you're ready to date. Like, you, you know when you know. And then someone on the panel would throw out an arbitrary number. Someone would yell out, 17, and... You could tell that other panelists were confused because we would lean forward and be like, where did you get that from? And then so we would be like, no, 18. And then someone would be like, 19. And we'd just escalate till it got to like 30. And so we're telling them that you can start dating at 30. That second question, how far can I go? Again, very hairy answers. Very hairy answers. We would say, man, you know, like, because they were asking how far they can go, or whether they've stepped over the line. We would say something like, you know, if you've gone too far. And internally, the panelists were trying to figure out who asked that question because we know that boy needed some discipling. And so we would say, you know, when you go, we gave this answer, which I think is a really good answer. We would give this, this analogy of a cliff, right? 
And we would say to them, because they would go, how far can I get to the edge? Or what can I do? What can't I do? We would say, imagine there's a cliff. What you're asking is how close can I get to the cliff? What are you doing? You're increasing the risk of you falling over. So don't get close to the cliff. This is the sort of answers we would get. With the humorous side, we have to understand where these questions are coming from. They're coming from a perspective of trying to qualify their faith based on criteria. What are the do's and don'ts of Christianity? What can I get away with and still be a Christian? When that sort of thinking consumes us, how far is too far? How much can I touch? Can I smoke cigarettes or cigars or the other stuff? Can I drink? Can I drink lemon, lime and bitters? Because there's alcohol in it. No, you can't. It's a joke. You can if you want. (laughs) Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson this morning. If that mentality defines our faith, we've buried the notion of freedom. There is nothing that we can do to earn the love of Christ. It's there. It's free. We ought to receive it. Amen. Our definition of Christianity morphs into something that we're trying to live up to. It's like he's a mark and we're taking a step by step trying to get to it. When Jesus has something completely different in mind for us, what is actually meant to be about this incredible union or this incredible relationship with our creator has now boiled down to rules, regulations, and obligations. It becomes a shallow, cold, hard religion about do's and don'ts. And people see us for what we're against rather than what we're for. We tell ourselves, man, if only I can live according to the rules then I'm doing it right. If only I can meet the criteria or meet the mark, then I'm doing it right and I've got my one-way ticket to heaven. How many know? That's not what it's about. It's not about abiding in rules. It's about abiding in Christ. Active abiding is to receive and trust all that God has for us. It's not based on our performance, trying to live up to do's and don'ts. Our default position as a Jesus-loving individual, is to be in right standing with God. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't follow Christ to be portrayed as a good person. So many people that I meet are like, man, I'm, I'm living this good life, or I'm actually doing good things, so that's enough. And they say, well, I'm walking this person across the road, or I'm sitting up off of my seat on the train to give it to an elderly person. Isn't that enough? My response is, whose standard of good are you living up to? Because there's so many standards and measures of good. What's good in my eyes might not be good in someone else's eyes. What's good in someone else's eyes might not be good in my eyes. It was a hit song in the year 2007 by the now famous Kanye West. The song was called The Good Life, and it defined a good life in three things. How easy is that, right? If you could define the good life in three things, that'd be awesome. Here's the three things they define the good life as money, material, girls. Whose standard, whose standard are we living up to if we're trying to qualify for a good life? The Christian faith is not about trying to live according to the do's and don'ts so we qualify as being good. If I haven't been clear so far, the Christian life is much more than do's and don'ts if that's where your thinking has been. I have a question for you. It's a simple question but often neglected. And the question is, why do you follow Christ? 
Why do you follow Christ? Like if someone was to come up to you after the service in a non-creepy way, tap you on the shoulder and say, excuse me, ma'am, or excuse me, sir, why do you follow Christ? What would your response be? What would your response be? Would it be as simple as you saying, because I love him? Or would it be something like, because he freed me? Is it because he rescued you? Is it because mum or dad maybe took you to church as a young person and you never look back? Is it because your friend goes to church? Is it because some girl or boy took you to a church, also known as flirt to convert, guilty as charged? I've matured. I've matured. Let me give you my answer. I'll follow Christ because he set me free. He washed me. The Bible uses the word wash because it implies we're dirty. The Bible also says, though your sins be as scarlet. I never knew what scarlet was, so I had to look up in the dictionary. Turns out it means red or crimson. So the Bible says, while your sins be as scarlet, red or crimson, I've washed them white as snow. There's something to get excited about this morning. I was lost, but now I'm freed. He called me. He has his eyes on me. He knows me, and he calls me as a son of the living God. There is a tremendous freedom or a tremendous liberty in Christ. It's a gift. It's yours. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is what? There is what? We're getting there. Okay. There is freedom. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is a permanent residence of your body, there's freedom. When he's permanently resided in you, there's freedom. In Christ, you're redeemed. In Christ, you're made right with God. And in Christ, you're free. I have another question for you. I have another question for you. And that is, what is your freedom for? Again, someone comes up to you after the service, taps you on the shoulder, says to you, what is your freedom for? What would you say? Pastor Adam will regularly preach this. This is the idea that not only are you free from, from something, you're free for something. What that tells me is that there's actually purpose behind our life. There's purpose behind our salvation. There's purpose behind the reason we live. Is the gift of freedom there so we can do what we want? Is it there so we can say what we want? Is it there so we can live this good life? Is it there so we can please ourselves? Or is it there so we can please Him? Now, when our mates over at the Corinth Church say, I have the right to do anything, technically they're correct, right? They're technically correct. And the same applies even today, okay? Whilst there is law to try and govern your behavior, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. Let me give you an example. If you wanted to go 110 on the expressway, you can. Is that beneficial? Probably not if you see a policeman, okay? You have, you have the freedom to do what you want. You can do what you want. Here's what happened when the Corinthian church did this. They were using freedom or liberty as a license to do what they wanted. They perceived it as a license to sin, knowing that God's grace would cover them. Paul says, hey, this is not what it's about. This is not what freedom's about. It's not given to us freely so we can do what we want. One author puts it this way, the more securely we tether to Christ, the more obedient we are to his right ways, rather than the world's ways, therefore the freer we become. Now this contradicts modern thinking. 
Because modern thinking would tell you that the more submissive you become under authority, the less freer you are, right? This is the great paradox because I'm telling you that the closer you get, the closer you get to Him and submit to His ways, submit to His authority, the freer you become. It's a paradox. How crazy is that? I, um, over the last couple of months, I've been able to collect um, some mountain biking protective gear. I love mountain biking. That is my passion, sort of. And um, what I've got is this helmet that covers, it's a quarter full face helmet, and so it covers my jaw. Because my fear when I ride is losing my two front teeth. Okay, I don't want that. You don't want that if I were to preach here. So I have this helmet which covers my teeth, and I also have some knee pads and some elbow pads. Now, I don't always wear my protective gear. Okay, I just wear it on some certain tracks, okay? When it's a gnarly track, I'll wear protective gear. Let me say this. When I don't wear my mountain biking protective gear, I take it easy. Okay, like I ride within my limits, okay? I stay within my limits. Now, when I do wear my protective gear, it's a different story. Because something inside of me tells me that I can ride as fast as I want. I can ride outside of my limits because if I were to fall off, I'd be okay because I'd be protected. Here's the lesson. I take advantage of my protective gear and I ride beyond my skill level knowing that if I fall off, I'd be protected. In the same manner, a Christian should not take advantage of their freedom by doing what they please, knowing that God's grace will be a form of freedom. The Bible says you are called to be free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. 1 John 3, 6 says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Here's the thing. True fellowship. True fellowship cannot result in sin. If we abide in Christ, we cannot live in sin. Sin is no longer our master. We have died to it. The Bible says, how can we? Or how can you live in it any longer? It being sin, how can we live in sin any longer? In May, which is only really a few months away, this is what freaks me out. I'm going to be doing my first half marathon. Let's go. And uh, I never knew what I was, did I say half marathon or full? I said half A, got to be clear. Um, I'm doing a half marathon and I never really knew what I was signing up for. When, when one of my friends asked me, do you want to do it? I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. Let's go ahead and do it. Um, what I, here's what I got wrong. I thought a half marathon was 10Ks. <laughs> Turns out it's not. It's 21. And so here's the thing. I don't want to walk 21Ks, okay? It's a long walk. I don't want to walk 21Ks. So I'm actually doing some training for it. The athlete in me is coming out. I've been doing some training for this half marathon, doing some runs here and there, and I'm really serious about trying to make up a good time. Here's the thing. Training isn't the problem for me. I like it. I enjoy it. The problem for me is food, is diet. Can someone relate? Training isn't the problem for me. Diet is. Now, when it comes to food... I'm of the idea that everything, I repeat, everything is permissible. Everything is permissible. There is nothing stopping me from eating my favorite takeaway on the daily, which is KFC, if you didn't know. 
There's nothing stopping me from eating KFC. Like, I already know that when I'm going to be running, I'm going to be thinking about KFC. This is the saying that you got to dangle the carrot to reach the goal. I'm going to dangle the carrot, uh, sorry, the chicken to reach the finish line. Like, I'm going to be thinking about it so much. How many know if I eat KFC on the daily, not only will I clog my arteries and probably suffer from a heart attack, but that's beside the point. If I eat KFC on the daily, I'm not going to progress as far compared to if I were to eat healthy. How many know that my training would take a bit of a hit and it would slow down? If I were to eat well, how many know that I would run better, I would feel healthier, and I'd be better than if I were to fall into the desires of my heart? Yes, I can eat what I want, sort of. It depends what Miranda says. But anyway, I can eat what I want. If I don't make the right choices between now and then, I can look at them over the past and go, man, that wasn't beneficial. That wasn't good. That wasn't helpful. I'm all about trying to make a good time. How do I do that? Well, I've got to put the right things in place. I've got to make the right decisions if I want the best time possible. In the same way, we have to put the right decisions in life if we want the best life possible. Amen? Isn't it funny when we, when we really do abuse our freedom, we get pulled up on it, and we're the first to deny it. We're the first to deny it. Like when Miranda pulls me out and she says, hey, I just want to let you know that you're eating unclean. I say, thank you, woman, for the feedback. Don't tell me what to eat. And then I run. (laughs) Isn't it funny that when our freedom gets questioned, we put up this defense mechanism. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's just me. But when I get pulled up, in many cases, my instant response is to say, or at least think, don't tell me what to do. Don't act like you haven't thought that before. That's just as worse as saying it. Don't tell me what to do. When it comes to something more serious, when we truly are abusing our freedom in Christ, there's people around us that are trying to give us advice and trying to help us. Can I say, don't close the door on them right away thinking, this is my life, I'll do what I want. I want you to understand this. There are those that are around you that you trust who often have a better view looking in from the outside. They can see things that you can't. Here's the thing. Why did Paul... Why did Paul, a close companion, have to write to the people in the church because the people couldn't see anything wrong with the way they were living? It took Paul on the outside, on the peripheral, looking in to say, hey, I can see something that you can't see. What is our freedom for? Is it there so we can do what we want? Is it there so we can live in such a way where we think, man, God's got me. I can live my own life. The Christian is not free to please themselves, but free to please God. Liberty is not the same as license. When we ask those questions, what can I do? What can I do? There's a key one-letter word there, and that's I. What can I do? What can I do? It's so inward focus. It's all about us. We're not free to please ourselves. We're not free to please ourselves, but we're free to please God with my time, my resources, my finances, my decisions, and my life. When the Corinthian church used their Christian freedom as a license for the flesh, they did so in such a dangerous manner. 
And it is very dangerous for us to do that. Why? Because we can become a slave to those actions of which we're freely indulging in. In other words, it can become a part of who we are. It can become a part of who we are. We can fall numb to the consequences, just like the Corinthian church. It becomes a part of everyday life. It becomes a little bit by little bit habitual fix. If the band could come up, that would be awesome. I, I like it how one author puts it. And they say this, freedom is not the maximum ability to choose whatever life we want to live with a minimum of external attachments. Let's live the life that God called us to live. In 1 Peter 2 verse 6, the scripture starts off by saying, live as free people. That can get dangerous if the scripture stopped there. Live as free people. There was a movement in the 60s and 70s where people really did do what they wanted to do. They were live as you want, live live free, go with the flow. I'm thankful that God didn't stop the scripture there. It says, live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Live as God's slaves? What does that mean? Well, it means that God is the one that we're serving. And it's when we're in this incredible relationship with Him when we start to experience in fullness the true grip, the true gift of freedom. Everything is permissible. Everything. But not everything is beneficial. Not everything is helpful. Not everything is profitable. Not everything is expedient or not everything is constructive. 1 Corinthians 10.23 and other versions of the Bible say this in the English Standard Version, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. The Message Version says, looking at it one way, you could say that anything goes. Because of God's immense generosity and grace, we don't have to dissect and scrutinize, scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. I want to give you some things to think about over the coming week. If you are taking notes, I want you to write these down. It's some more questions or more of a continuation of the questions that we asked. This is what I want you to think about this week. Is my faith, is my faith centered on a relationship with Christ or is is it all about rules, regulations and obligations? Is my faith centered on Christ or is it about rules, regulations and obligations. We looked at this idea of being so focused on the do's and don'ts of Christianity and the risk of our relationship becoming this shallow, cold, hard religion, constantly trying to live up to the mark. While yes, everything is lawful, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial or helpful. Yes, you have the right to do what you want, but you've got to ask yourself this. Ultimately, is it pleasing Him? Is it pleasing Him? The second question I want you to write down is what are we using our freedom for? What are we using our freedom for? We learned that the Corinthian church indulged in the flesh and that God's grace would cover them. It's a very dangerous place to be in. A very dangerous place to be in. Because what starts off small can become habitual. The Christian life is much more, there's much more to the Christian life than that. Our goal should not be to 
to distance ourselves. Our goal should be to try and get as close to Him as possible. As close to Him as possible, knowing that true fellowship cannot result in sin. Final question for this morning is, what adjustments do we need to make in life? What adjustments do we need to make in life? Is our faith based on do's and don'ts? Are we focusing too much on the obligations or the regulations, forgetting that He calls us into this this genuine relationship with Him? Are rules and regulations defining your faith? Remember that Christ indwells in your spirit. He indwells in your spirit and He calls us into this relationship where we've been set free. We're free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame, and free from chains. You've been called by your very name into His kingdom. Amen. Church, would you stand for a moment? And I'm going to pray for a couple of things this morning. We've got a few minutes left. I want to take a moment to break any chains in this place. I said it when I came up here that in a moment of His presence, things can change and things can shift. And that's been my prayer this whole week is that not only would God show up, but that chains would be broken. That we would, that there would be miracle stories of people who have been set free. And maybe, just maybe, you've had that thought. What can I do? What can't I do? Am I qualifying as a Christian? Am I living this good life? Maybe you've had a thought like that. I'm going to pray that God would give you a revelation this morning. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed in this place? The first group of people that I want to pray for uh, is a group of people who perhaps have have centered their faith on these rules or centered their faith around obligations, forgetting that Christ simply calls us into a relationship with Him. I want to pray for that group of people first. We're going to start with that, then we're going to move on to another group. If that is you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for you specifically. I'm not going to get you up the front. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If there's anyone here who has centered their faith on rules, forgetting about a relationship, if that's you in this place, can you raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to see change broken. Can I see the hands down the back to the right here? Awesome. God's so, so good. God's so good. And and he wants to free you. And he, he's saying, just come into this relationship with me. It's so simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. God says it's simple. It's a relationship. Get to know me. We're going to pray. If you feel comfortable, just pray with me as we pray for the people that put up their hands this morning. God, we thank you for acknowledgement in this place. God, we thank you that there are people in this room who um, are willing to make changes, God. Most of all, God, we're thankful for you who, are willing to, who is willing to meet us, God. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would meet us in this place, God. I pray, Father, that chains be broken, God. If there's anyone here who didn't raise their hand, God, who, who has been basing their faith on rules and regulations, God, I pray, Father, there would be a revelation from God this morning. 
God, help us to live in this genuine relationship with you, God. We know where there's true fellowship, Lord. Sin cannot come in. So I pray right now, and I just speak the word genuine. I speak the word genuine over all the people that put their hands up this morning, God, to enter into this genuine relationship with you. God, thank you that you call us. We thank you that you know us. God, we thank you that you call us into your kingdom. And God, we just want to declare this morning that we love you. We love you, Jesus.